Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends, and then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. The first time Robert Wilcox incited rebellion was in an effort to overthrow the so-called Bayonet Constitution and the newly formed Provisional Government of Hawaii. The second time was when he tried to restore the deposed monarch, Queen Liliuokalani, and the native Hawaiian government. And his rebellion led to his arrest on charges of treason. Treason technically against an illegitimate government. Welcome to Criminalia. I'm Maria Tremarki. And I'm Holly Fry. I feel like we should say at the top of this, there are a lot of Hawaiian words. We will probably get some wrong because they don't all appear in easy pronunciation searches. We are doing our best, and no disrespect is meant to the Hawaiian language or the people of Hawaii. Back to the story. Nicknamed the Iron Duke of Hawaii, Robert William Kalanahipo Wilcox was born on the island of Maui in the Kingdom of Hawaii on February 15, 1855. 
He was the son of an American father from New England and a mother descended from Maui royalty. His parents were William S. Wilcox, who was a sea captain from Newport, Rhode Island, and Kalua Makoliokalani, a direct descendant from the Maui royal line of Lono Makaihonua. Robert, as an adult, is described as six feet tall with dark eyes. One account detailed them as, quote, burning dark eyes. He was very charismatic and, it's said, maybe a bit rash. Robert was well-educated and attended the Haleakala boarding school as well as schools in Maui. In 1881, when he was 26, a legislature-sponsored program called the Education of Hawaiian Youths Abroad selected Robert as one of its beneficiaries and gave him the opportunity to continue his education. He was assigned to the Royal Military School in Turin, Italy, for military training, graduating in 1885 as a sub-lieutenant of artillery. He then attended the Royal Application School for Engineer and Artillery Officers, also in Turin. While in Italy, Robert married Baronessa Gina Sobrero of the House of Colonna di Stigliano. The couple had a daughter, Victoria, but their marriage was an increasingly unhappy partnership. When he returned to Hawaii, Wilcox set himself up as a civil engineer and surveyor for hire. His wife chose to return to Italy with Victoria, and she requested an annulment of their marriage. Tragically, their young daughter died. Most reports suggest this happened en route to Italy. In the years he'd been away from home, power had shifted in the Hawaiian kingdom. Robert was ambitious, and he had been elected to represent Maui in the Hawaiian legislature in 1880, just before his years in Italy. The turn of events on the islands fueled his anger against the white businessmen, missionaries, and others of European descent who had settled there. When he took the throne in 1874, King David Kalakaua sought to reduce the power in the Hawaiian government of a group of white and mostly American men known collectively as the Missionary Party. Their political party later became known as the Reform Party. Not long after his reign began, the missionary party became angered by what they believed to be the king's extravagant spending, and they were especially angry at his attempts to dilute their power. Led by Sanford Dole and Lauren Thurston, both who had pro-American interests, the missionary party drafted a new constitution. Dole was a descendant of the American missionary community to the Kingdom of Hawaii and was a firm advocate for the westernization of the islands. Thurston was an American politician and businessman born in the Kingdom of Hawaii. The party stood for a lot of anti-Hawaiian things, but a big fear was that the United States would establish a tariff on sugar imports, and that would endanger their profits. Their new legislature undermined the authority of the king, removed native Hawaiian land rights, and gave the right to vote to wealthy whites and other foreigners while restricting access for native Hawaiians through land ownership and literacy provisions. In 1887, a small militia of party members, calling themselves the Hawaiian League, struck out against the king on behalf of the missionary party. They forced King Kalakaua to sign a new constitution for the Kingdom of Hawaii, legislature that was friendlier toward their American interests. The king did sign that law, but he only did so under intimidation and at gunpoint. This document became known as the Bayonet Constitution. 
The group had previously forced the king to sign the Reciprocity Treaty, a free trade agreement between the United States and the Kingdom of Hawaii. That guaranteed a duty-free market for Hawaiian sugar in exchange for special economic privileges for the United States that were denied to other countries. Those privileges made it possible for sugar to be sold tax-free to consumers in the United States. About a month or so after his return from Italy, so that puts us roughly mid-May of 1889, Robert got to work. He hosted a meeting that resulted in the founding of a group called the Kamehameha Rifle Association, an organization with intentions of revoking the Bayonet Constitution. There was resistance from Native Hawaiians about the questionable constitution, but Robert ran with this. He next founded the Liberal Patriotic Association, designed to be the political arm of his revolt. The plan was to force the king to sign another new constitution, revised to either restore power to the throne or to supplant the king with his sister, Lili Uakalani, with the same pro-Native Hawaiian constitutional change. Plans developed quickly. Led by Wilcox, there was an attempt to reestablish a Native Republic opposed to the imposed bayonet constitution. At dawn on July 30, 1889, Robert led between 100 and 150 Hawaiians to the palace. The royal guard had the palace locked down and refused to give Robert an audience with the king. As we said, Wilcox was a bit rash and a bit stubborn, and he refused to abandon the plan to change Hawaii's illegal constitution. He and his men instead remained stationed on the grounds. That is, until government forces hastened their departure in the late afternoon that same day. Those backing the new constitution denounced what they called, quote, destructive activities of two or three men on whom this government has spent some $20,000 to give them a foreign military education. For what? Robert was charged with treason. Those backing the Bayonet Constitution suggested he plead guilty to conspiracy and serve one year in prison. Bitter over his failed revolt and still angry about what was happening to his homeland, he refused that concession. There was a catch, and it was in his favor. The law dictated that he be judged by a jury of his peers, and that meant peers of Native or part-Native Hawaiians. Knowing no all-Hawaiian jury would convict him for his pro-Hawaiian actions, the treason charge was dropped before he even went to trial. Instead, he was tried for conspiracy. Two juries heard the case, and Robert, they found, was not guilty. He was released, and he immediately became a Native hero. Robert really embraced and used his newfound recognition. Along with political leader and newspaper publisher John E. Bush, Robert helped two of the Bayonet Constitution opposition groups unite to form a new political party called the National Reform Party. We know there's some crossover language, so note that this is not the same as or related to the also newly founded Reform Party that we mentioned earlier. That was the political party led by Thurston and Dole, white business interests. The National Reform Party was a moderate opposition party that backed democratic reforms as well as a return of some administrative duties to the throne. In 1890, Robert again held office when he won the election to represent Honolulu in the Hawaiian legislature. 
He won re-election to that post in 1892. We're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor, and when we're back, we'll talk about Queen Liliuokalani, who succeeded her brother, and how she ended up under a lifetime of house arrest. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... <laughs> Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with dust-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with a limited edition bombshell escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about the day the Queen was overthrown by a group calling itself the Committee of Safety. When the King died in early 1891, his sister succeeded him, becoming the first woman ever to rule the Kingdom of Hawaii. She also became the Kingdom's last reigning monarch. Thurston, Dole, and their followers were 
angered by the Queen's politics and pro-native stance, and in response, formed another group. They formed a 13-member committee called the Committee of Safety. Members were mostly businessmen in the sugar industry who were concerned about any degradation to their lucrative trade between Hawaii and the United States. By the 1890s, foreigners owned as much as 90% of Hawaiian land. The committee had two goals. One, overthrow the monarchy, and two, be annexed by the United States. On January 17, 1893, the Queen was overthrown by the Committee of Safety. She was the last sovereign of the Kalakaua dynasty, which had ruled the independent kingdom since 1810. But by the time she took the throne in 1891, the Bayonet Constitution had removed most of the monarchy's powers. When she acted to restore those powers and realign the constitution with the Kingdom of Hawaii, Thurston and Dole led the coup to depose her. The January 29th edition of the New York Times recounted the events of the coup, and they go as follows, keeping in mind, of course, that this is from a white journalism standpoint. On January 16th, the day before the monarchy was overthrown, Hawaiian Marshal Charles B. Wilson attempted to arrest the committee members and to declare martial law. His attempts, however, were turned down by other government officials who feared inciting violence. Wilson's instincts were right, though, and the next day, after a police officer was shot and wounded while trying to stop the distribution of weapons to the Committee of Safety's militia, the Committee of Safety formally decided to put its coup into action. The committee's militia gathered near Iolani Palace in Honolulu, and they had legit backup forces. The group was joined by 162 United States Marines from the USS Boston, ordered by John L. Stevens, United States Minister to Hawaii, to protect the Committee of Safety while it carried out its plans to overthrow the government of a foreign nation. We should mention... Minister Stevens did not have permission from the United States State Department to recognize this new government or proclaim Hawaii a United States protectorate, yet he did so anyway. President Benjamin Harris signed a treaty of annexation with this new government. But it didn't happen, at least not yet. Before the United States Senate could ratify it, Grover Cleveland took office, replacing Harrison as president. And unlike Harrison, Cleveland was not pro-annexation, and he withdrew the treaty. So back to that coup. Liliuokalani surrendered to the Committee of Safety's militia and signed a formal abdication, but she continued to appeal to United States President Grover Cleveland for her reinstatement, without success. He did offer her reinstatement, but only in return for her granting amnesty to all Americans who had been involved in the coup. She refused, although she then reconsidered and changed her mind, but it didn't matter either way. The Committee of Safety had established a non-Hawaiian provisional government and requested annexation to the United States. And that provisional government denied her reinstatement. President Cleveland opposed the provisional government and called for the Queen to be restored to power, but the Committee of Safety refused to cede power. They had stolen this kingdom. The queen under protest stated, quote, 
I, Lili Uokalani, by the grace of God and under the Constitution of the Hawaiian Kingdom, Queen, do hereby solemnly protest against any and all acts done against myself and the constitutional government of the Hawaiian Kingdom by certain persons claiming to have established a provisional government of and for this kingdom. That I yield to the superior force of the United States of America, whose minister plenipotentiary, His Excellency John L. Stevens, has caused United States troops to be landed at Honolulu and declared that he would support the provisional government. Now, to avoid any collision of armed forces and perhaps the loss of life, I do this under protest and impelled by said force yield my authority until such time as the government of the United States shall, upon facts being presented to it, undo its actions of its representatives and reinstate me in the authority which I claim as the constitutional sovereign of the Hawaiian Islands. Dole, as an establisher of the provisional government, argued that the United States had no rights when it came to the internal affairs of Hawaii, which at least in part explains why he didn't care what the president of the United States thought about the legality of his new government. The new government proclaimed Hawaii a republic, the Republic of Hawaii, and Dole was now in charge. In 1894, Dole sent a delegation from the Republic of Hawaii to Washington, D.C. to campaign for annexation to the United States. But instead, President Cleveland did pretty much what they didn't want him to do. So he was skeptical, and he appointed a special investigator, a congressman named James Blunt, to look into recent events that had taken place in the Hawaiian Islands. The report of U.S. Special Commissioner James H. Blunt to U.S. Secretary of State Walter Q. Gresham concerning the Hawaiian Kingdom investigation—this is what it was known as— concluded that in July of 1893, the Queen had been overthrown illegally, and that United States military and diplomatic personnel had 100% overstepped their authority. The Queen was not reinstated, but the annexation did not move forward. Robert, along with other Native Hawaiians seething over the provisional government, formed an alliance they informally called the Equal Rights League. The group rallied for empowerment of Native Hawaiians. Their goal was to remove those in the illegitimate government from places of power. On January 5, 1895, when Robert realized the majority of Native Hawaiians supported the restoration of the monarchy under Queen Liliuokalani, he joined a counter-revolution as its commander. The revolt, though, was suppressed by Republic of Hawaii forces. The leaders of the revolt were court-martialed and imprisoned, as was Queen Liliuokalani. In 1896, Dole offered a conditional pardon, commuting sentences to several decades of hard labor and a hefty fine rather than execution. In 1898, Dole granted full pardons. The queen, who had been arrested and charged with having knowledge of treasonous activity against Dole's regime, was not pardoned and remained confined to her palace room as a prisoner. William McKinley became president of the United States in March of 1897, and he was super pro-annexation, whether the Native Hawaiians wanted it or not. On June 16, 1897, he met with representatives from the Republic of Hawaii, including Lauren Thurston, as well as two other statesmen, Francis Hatch and William Kinney, and they all agreed to and signed a treaty of annexation. 
It would need to go to the United States Senate for ratification before it became legal, but that wasn't immediate. The Queen and Native Hawaiians protested the annexation by petitioning the United States Congress. On September 6, 1897, the Hawaiian group Hui Aloha Aina, translated as the Hawaiian Patriotic League, held a mass gathering at Palace Square. To a crowd of thousands, the president of the group, James Kaulia, spoke saying, quote, We, the nation, Yahui, will never consent to the annexation of our lands until the very last patriot lives. Together, Hui Alohaina and Hui Kulai Aina, one group was for men and one was for women, organized a mass petition drive. Between September 11th and October 2nd of 1897, the two groups circulated and collected signatures at public meetings held on each of the principal islands. The document was marked Petition Against Annexation, and it was written in both the Hawaiian and English languages. The majority of the Native adult population signed the petitions, and Hawaiians rallied behind the slogans Hawaii for the Hawaiians and Equal Rights for the People. The two groups went on to merge into the Hawaiian Independent Party. At the same time, those who backed the provisional government were busy splitting themselves between the two political parties of the mainland United States, Republicans and Democrats. Hoping the United States government would stop the move to annex Hawaii once they understood that the majority of Native Hawaiians opposed it, four delegates, James Kolia, David Kalaula Kalani, John Richardson, and William Alb, went to Washington, D.C., and on December 6, 1897, they delivered the petition. The 556-page document totaled 21,269 signatures. That's more than half of the 39,000 Native Hawaiians and persons of mixed race reported by the Hawaiian Commission Census for that same year. The petition, if you're curious, is now stored at the United States National Archives, and in part, it reads, To His Excellency William McKinley, President and the Senate of the United States of America, greeting. Whereas there has been submitted to the Senate of the United States of America a treaty for the annexation of the Hawaiian Islands to the said United States of America for consideration at its regular session in December A.D. 1897. Therefore, we, the undersigned, who are members of the Hawaiian Patriotic League of the Hawaiian Islands, and others who are in sympathy with the said League, earnestly protest against the annexation of the said Hawaiian Islands to the said United States of America in any form or shape. The pro-Hawaiian delegation also met with Senator George Hoare, who was chairman of the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. On December 9th, with the delegates present, Senator Hoare read the text of the petition to the Senate, and it was formally accepted. The next day, the delegates submitted a formal statement protesting the annexation to Secretary of State John Sherman. Before returning to Hawaii in early February of 1898, the delegates met with many members of the Senate while in Washington, D.C., voicing their opposition to annexation. The annexation treaty did not receive the necessary two-thirds majority in the Senate, and for a moment, things were looking up. But... There's always a but. There's always a but. <laughs> it wasn't long until a new problem came along, and it was called the Newlands Resolution. 
So we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor before we talk about the Newlands Resolution and how President McKinley could barely contain himself when it came to the annexation of the Hawaiian Islands. He wanted it that much. So meet us right back here. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape Fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Welcome back to Criminalia. The national flag of the United States flew over Hawaii on August 12, 1898. Let's talk about the former kingdom's progression from annexation to becoming a territory to becoming the 50th state of the United States of America. On the evening of February 15, 1898, the United States Navy ship, the USS Maine, exploded and sank in Havana Harbor in Cuba. 
On April 25th, the United States declared war against Spain. And on May 4th, just days after the Spanish-American War began, United States Representative Francis Newlands of Nevada introduced a resolution in the House of Representatives to annex the Hawaiian Islands to the United States. While neither Cuba nor Spain are geographically close to Hawaii, the event triggered the argument in the United States government that the Hawaiian Islands would be strategically valuable as a mid-Pacific fueling station and naval installment for the burgeoning Spanish-American War. President McKinley lobbied Congress to pass the Newlands Resolution, arguing that annexation was a necessary war measure and that the location of the Hawaiian Islands right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean provided a strategic location for a United States military base. That, he also argued, would help establish the United States as a world superpower. The annexation also addressed something United States military leaders feared. What would happen if there was a Japanese invasion of the Hawaiian Islands, which would disturb their lucrative sugar trade? The move reflects the imperialist nature of the United States government at the turn of the 20th century, And it also highlights the effects that imperialism had and has on indigenous peoples around the world. Pro-annexation supporters in the United States Congress submitted a proposal to annex the Hawaiian Islands by joint resolution. And that meant that only a simple majority vote was required in both houses rather than the two-thirds majority needed to ratify a treaty. The House approved the joint resolution on June 15th. The Senate approved it on July 6th, and on July 7th, it was signed into law by President McKinley. The flag of the United States was flown over Hawaii on August 12, 1898. In June of 1900, the United States Congress approved the Hawaii Organic Act, officially making Hawaii a territory of the United States. Sanford Dole became the first governor of the territory of Hawaii and elections were planned in the fall for the Territorial Senate, which would have 15 members, the Territorial House of Representatives, which would have 30 members, as well as the Territorial Delegate to the United States Congress. As a territory, as opposed to being a state, Hawaii had very little power or influence in the United States government. The Organic Act permitted Hawaii one non-voting delegate to the United States House of Representatives. That delegate, though, could introduce legislation. As the Organic Act took effect, the Hawaiian Independent Party nominated its candidates, all of whom were Native Hawaiians, for the territorial offices. Robert Wilcox headed the ticket as the nominee for territorial delegate. The Hawaiian Independent Party was seen as anti-white and as a radical organization by Dole and the new government of the Territory of Hawaii. In mid-November that election year, it was renamed as the Independent Home Rule Party, commonly called the Home Rule Party or just simply Home Rulers. Robert began campaigning on Oahu under the Home Rulers. The Republicans chose their candidate, a man named Sam Parker, who had the nickname the Cowboy from Waimea, as their nominee for territorial delegate. The Democrats hoped to capitalize on the Native Hawaiian vote by nominating Prince David Kawananakoa as their candidate. There was controversy, and there was misinformation, and the final results were not announced for two days after the election. Robert won. He won both a term in the remaining months of the 56th Congress from 1899 to 1901 and a full term in the 57th Congress 
from 1901 to 1903. On December 15th, Robert was sworn in as the first territorial delegate from the Territory of Hawaii at the start of the second session of the 56th Congress. In his role, he had limited influence on Capitol Hill. He kept his focus on Native Hawaiian concerns and led with a strong preference for Hawaiian independence. He promised Hawaiians that, in this role, he would work to have Sanford Dole removed as territorial governor. In addition to being the first delegate to the United States Congress for the Territory of Hawaii, the position also made him the first Asian Pacific American elected to Congress. Reported in the local newspaper, the Hawaiian advertiser, quote, One blast upon the Wilcox bugle is worth a thousand men. Shortly after the election, there was more controversy. The Hawaiian Star reported on plans to contest Robert's seat in the House. George D. Gere, leader of a Republican faction in the territory of Hawaii, had organized a campaign founded on charges that the election was invalid because Robert was a bigamist. He alleged that Wilcox and his first wife's divorce was never finalized. That was a problem because Robert had married again in 1896. His second wife was Hawaiian royalty, Princess Teresa Oana Keohelelani Launui, who was descended from the first ruler of the Kingdom of Hawaii, Kamehameha the Great. In February of 1901, though, the United States Committee on Elections heard and investigated this bigamy charge and dismissed it allowing the election to stand and Robert Wilcox to keep his position. It was in the interest of the wealthy landowners to keep the islands as a territory rather than push for statehood. As a territory, sugar plantation owners could get cheap labor and export their products to the mainland with low tariffs. But Native Hawaiians began to push for state status, seeking the same rights as United States citizens. They wanted voting representation in the United States Congress. They wanted the right to elect their own governor and judges who, at the time, were appointed. Robert backed the conversion of Hawaiian currency to that of the United States, saying succinctly, quote, Our country being annexed to the United States, we might as well have the same kind of dollars as the United States, rather than different dollars. Over the next 50 years, the territory of Hawaii sought statehood, but Proposals sent to Congress, including a joint resolution request in 1903, were either denied or just simply ignored. It wasn't until 1937 when a congressional committee found that Hawaii did, in fact, meet the qualifications for statehood. In 1941, a vote was held, but there was a problem. Though the vote had resulted in favor of statehood, the attack at Pearl Harbor happened on December 7th population of Hawaii, and specifically the Japanese population, came under suspicion by the U.S. government. It actually wasn't until 1959 that Hawaii became the 50th state of the United States. Today, informally known as the Apology Resolution, a joint resolution of the United States Congress was signed by President Bill Clinton in 1993, so almost a century after the annexation of the islands acknowledging that, quote, the Native Hawaiian people never directly relinquished to the United States their claims to their inherent sovereignty over their national lands, either through plebiscite or referendum. Leona He Oka Pakipika, the Pacific's Roaring Lion, as Robert was famously known, died at his home on October 23, 1903. 
Records suggest his death was caused by a massive hemorrhage, what news accounts called consumption was likely tuberculosis. The San Francisco Chronicle reported that he'd had a, quote, romantic and adventurous life. Hawaiian government officials refused to give him a state funeral, leaving mourners to pay their respects at his home, which was located at the foot of the Punchbowl volcanic crater in Honolulu. His funeral was delayed until after the election. On November 8th, after a funeral mass at the Catholic Cathedral in Honolulu, a hearse carrying his casket was drawn through the streets by an estimated 200 Native Hawaiians to his burial site, where a large crowd had gathered. A local newspaper, the Pacific Commercial Advertiser, eulogized Wilcox as a voice for the people, printing, quote, It may be justly said that no other Hawaiian, not of royal blood, has ever exerted such a powerful influence on Hawaii as Robert W. Wilcox. We may condemn the nature of that influence as we please, but the fact remains that it made history and gave Wilcox rank as a tribune of his people, a man stronger in the elements of leadership than all but one of his native kings. Jumping on the timeline to the celebration of the inaugural Robert Kalanihiapo Wilcox Day in Honolulu on September 11, 1993, Monsignor Charles Kekumano, considered the first ordained native Hawaiian Roman Catholic priest, described Robert as, quote, irrepressible, and that if he, quote, didn't like the way things were, he just could not sit back and do nothing. He was not the type to merely talk about things. He was an activist, a man of zeal and determination, and at times of exaggerated vigor. City Council Chairperson Gary Gill said of him, quote, Robert Wilcox was a patriot. Robert Wilcox stood for truth, independence, nationhood, and sovereignty in a day when American imperialism was conquering the Pacific. And Princess Awana Kaolilani Salazar, who is Robert's great-granddaughter, called him, quote, a Hawaiian hero, this freedom fighter, this patriot, this aliyo Hawaii ne, which means this chief of Hawaii. What a great celebration for him. Yes. Should we pour yes. it out in honor? We are. It's time for the perfidy pour. This one was a little bit of a thinker because, look, it's Hawaii. The natural thing is to want to do something pineapple-y and delicious, but there's so much mention of dole in this. Oh, my God. <laughs> Listen, I love a dole whip. I love pineapple, you but it does not whip. feel right. It doesn't. To go with pineapple, and it feels a little like we would be honoring Sanford Dole instead of Wilcox in this case. I agree. I agree. I'm glad that this was the decision. I am not doing anything pineapple but I am doing something very associated with Hawaii, and this drink is called Exaggerated Vigor. Because... <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I'm... <laughs> the irony is that it's actually quite, it has a little bit of bite to it, but it's a pretty soft tasting drink. It's not heavy. It's not harsh. I loved that quote. I'm so glad you pulled that out. <laughs> but it just, there was literally nothing else that I was going to call this drink after having gotten through this story. So this is one, like I said, that incorporates some very Hawaiian things. But the first thing I actually want to talk about is how renowned Hawaii across the islands has become for its distilleries in recent years. They are making some incredible spirits in Hawaii. Some of which are pretty easy to get here. Some are a little bit trickier. But I 
started with a vodka that I love from Hawaii called Ocean Vodka. It's very easy to spot in a liquor store because it comes in a blue, <laughs> in, well, the in a, a round bottle. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful and blue, and it's it's a genuinely like a delicious, super clean, just a beautiful smooth vodka. So you're going to start with an ounce of that. It doesn't have to be Ocean. They're not obviously sponsoring the show. I just want to give them a shout out because they are a great Hawaiian vodka. So I just Googled that. That's a beautiful bottle to have your vodka in. Yeah. It's gorgeous. There are, like I said, many other really great distilleries in Hawaii producing great spirits. That's just one that's probably going to be easiest to get if our listeners want to go the Hawaiian spirit route. And I hope they do. So we're going to start with an ounce of vodka. A half ounce of ginger liqueur, because ginger grows very well Mm -hmm. in Hawaii. I believe it is actually native to India originally, but it's been in Hawaii for literally thousands of years. And then you're going to do three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice and three quarters of an ounce of hibiscus syrup, because hibiscus is native to Hawaii. I love hibiscus. I know you I'm do. I'm so excited it's in this drink. Okay. <laughs> it's, at this point, it's such an easy drink. You shake that up with ice, strain it over fresh ice. I topped mine with club soda. This is a choose-your-own-adventure. You could also do a ginger ale here. You could do a ginger beer if you want a bitier one. Ooh. You could even do a lemon-lime soda here. Just something that kind of goes, if you want something bubbly with all of these, it's a little sweeter than a club soda. Go for mm-hmm. it. Um, delicious. This is, like I said, it's a soft, light drink. It doesn't have a heavy flavor. It's not really bitey. You get that little ginger kick to it, but it's not too much because there's just a little in there. I love everything in this drink. I can't wait to make this. I think garnish it with a slice of fresh ginger, and that's going to be really lovely as well. The mocktail, you got to... Uh, I think it's best to tweak some of the proportions a little bit. You're just going to skip vodka entirely. And instead of ginger liqueur, you're going to do an ounce of ginger syrup, Mm -hmm. which we've talked about before. You can just toss your sliced ginger in while you're making simple syrup and then strain it off and you get a very gingery syrup and it's quite delicious. An ounce of hibiscus syrup. And I would up your lemon juice to an ounce just to counter the sweetness of having two ounces of syrup in it because that's a lot. And then shake that up and mix it with club soda or a ginger ale or a lemon lime soda. And it's a very, very yummy, very refreshing. I didn't want to do any of the classic other cocktails that are associated Mm -hmm. with Hawaii. Like a Mai Tai is what you can get everywhere in Hawaii and people think of it. It was invented by white dudes in California. Sanford Bowl, maybe. (laughs) I think it is invented by a white dude. I know it was invented in California. It's an export to Hawaii that has become very common. There's also like a blue Hawaii. There are a lot of tiki drinks, which gets into a whole other discussion mm-hmm. about appropriation. I think there is actually a path out of, but is problematic. And a lot of people are not willing to have that discussion. Not yet. Just acknowledge right. that is not a real Pacific Islander thing. It is a California thing right. and associated with that. Anyway, <laughs> I have feelings. I'm sure many people are growling. But listen, I love I love tiki stuff. I just think we need to be conscious of what we're doing. And remember, all of that stuff that we've borrowed and made kitschy came from real and often amazing and mind-blowing iconography and culture Mm -hmm. that should be recognized and lauded for its influence on us. Enjoy your hibiscus beverages forever. I love them. I Uh, can't wait to do this one. I have two hibiscus growing here at home. Do I have you? what are called hearty hibiscus. You have to get a special <laughs> kind because they're 
Otherwise, they don't winter through yeah, Georgia. I was wondering, yeah. And I keep debating over trying to make my own hibiscus syrup, but I've chickened out. I don't know why. One day I'll do it. Do it. I do it with other flowers I all know. the time. I don't know I why don't know I'm why worried about this, hibiscus. Right? It's Just a, test it out. I've done it. It's not going to go bitter on you or anything. And it's there so is cool. literally another thing you could garnish that drink with is a candied hibiscus. Oh, my God. If you've never had that on a drink, <laughs> it's like magic. Do one of each. Do the ginger and the hibiscus. Delicious. I hope that if you have these lovely drinks, you, one, toast to Wilcox because yeah. he deserves it. Two, that you enjoy them. And three, that you have enjoyed this and that you will come back again and have some more time with us next week. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare trinity school of natural health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.